Good evening. Tonight's New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, it's my uh, privilege to welcome back to our uh, pulpit, uh, Reverend Cyril Chavis. And um, Cyril has been in our community for a while uh, now, and he is uh, doing a campus ministry work at Howard University for this denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, That ministry is called RUF, Reform University Fellowship, or RUM. I'm curious how many of you were part of an RUF here Okay, so, you know, it really is a wonderful work of the PCA. Uh, Cyril said at the retreat, one of the things he really appreciates is the denomination really cares about campuses and college students. Um, So he came to start this work at Howard University, which has been just a wonderful, dynamic work of God. And we consider him really to be a pastor in our network in our fellowship. Uh, he is, uh, how long have you all been in D.C. now? Year four. Goes fast. But he has spent the weekend with us and uh, really has fed us, charged us up, and we always want to share that goodness with those that weren't able to make it to the retreat. Uh, one little word, though, uh, we got his uh, uh, scripture readings backward. So he's going to preach from the first text, the Old Testament, and not the New Testament. Okay? Cyril, come on up, brother. Great to have you here. Let's welcome him. I'm going to shut this. All right. Good evening. It is good to be here. Um, and by the way, it very well could have been me with the, with the scripture mix-up, but... We, we won't know, but we'll, yeah, we'll just move ahead with the, with the um, Old Testament reading. Um, but yeah, it, again, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for having me. It, it has been a blast hanging with you all at the retreat. Um, I really appreciate y'all's hospitality and y'all's welcome. You all have been a warm crew, and uh, it's a joy to be with you here this Sunday evening on your uh, Lord's Day worship service. So uh, again, turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 28. We'll, we'll be there, and we'll kind of look at it, but we'll really kind of look at the whole life of Jacob. So this, this is really about Jacob's life and really what God is doing in his life. And really, um, I want to preach from the thought or the reality of Bethel. In, in, in the scripture reading, uh, Jacob goes to Bethel, and this is the place where God meets him. So I want to read just a small part of the, the, the scripture again so that we can be refreshed on um, Bethel. And then I will pray for us and we'll dive in. So in the book of Genesis, at this point, God has created the world 
and then humanity rebelled against him, and then things got really bad. And so God kind of, basically what he does, he presses restart on the world and kind of recreates it with Noah. He sends a flood, and Noah's his family. Then Noah has descendants, and he picks this guy named Abraham to be his chosen family. Abraham has a son named Isaac, and then Isaac has a son named Jacob. And so that's, that's kind of where we are now. And so Jacob has a brother named Esau, an older brother. And Esau was kind of like real gruff and was a hunter type of guy. And Jacob was a, a trickster and kind of was, was, wasn't as, as tough as Esau. But basically, God kind of prophesies over Jacob's life that the younger will serve the older. And so Rebecca, Jacob's mom, Jacob and Esau's mom knows this. And so they basically kind of um, finesse the situation to where Jacob gets Esau's blessing. And so Esau is mad and he wants to kill Jacob and Jacob is on the run. That's kind of where we are in our passage. And so I'll, re- I'll read it again. He- he's on the run. He lays down to sleep on a rock, um, which is always funny to me. I guess that's, that, w- that was their pillows when you were on the run back then. Um, <laughs> but in verse 16, it says, um, uh, uh, well, well, and he has a dream about a ladder going up and down from heaven. It's really a stairway, almost like a temple where angels are going up and down. And he wakes up from his dream in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel. Again, he named that place Bethel, which means the house of God although it was previously called Luz. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word and to be able to talk about you. Lord, I pray that you would be here and that you would strengthen us, you would encourage us, you would mold us, you would shape us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to, uh, to meet with you. Lord, we love the fact that whenever your word is opened and preached, that you uh, meet with us. And you do only what you can do. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me power. Lord, once again, um, fill me. Lord, I pray that you would soak me uh, with power, with boldness, with humility, with conviction, with love and gentleness and meekness. Lord, I pray that you would give me an extra dose of energy. Lord, I pray that my food would be to do the will of the Father in this moment, that I would be full and that I would share from that fullness. Lord, I pray um, for your church. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts, that they might receive your word and they might believe it and they might love it. Lord, for those of us who um, just might be really struggling, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, for those of us who need building up, Lord, I pray that you would build us up. Lord, I pray that for uh, those of us who may be in doubt, that you would assure us. Lord, for those of us who um, really just may be in guilt and shame, I pray that you would uh, comfort us with your grace and your love. And Lord, I pray that we will leave here transformed. We will leave here different than when we came. That this wouldn't just be a mere exercise, it wouldn't just be a mere ritual, but Lord, we would be be here expecting you to do your work. Lord, we love you, amen. All right, do y'all have a place where you feel really close to God? You know, maybe uh, it's a, closet, you know, where you feel really close to God, that place is just special to you. 
I know for some of you all, it may be the stars, that maybe there's a certain vacation spot that you go to when you look up at the stars. There's not a lot of light pollution, and you are aware of God in, in, in a powerful way. For maybe some of you, it's the mountains. You go to the mountains, and you're like, ah, I just, man, I'm really brutally aware of God's grandeur and presence. Um, for me, it's the ocean at night, especially when the moon is out. I just stand at the ocean, and I hear the waves crashing, and I look out, and I just see endlessness and vastness, and I see the moon. For some of you, maybe it's a big church building. Um, but these places usually have something to do with tranquility, uh, vastness, and usually have something to do with ornate beauty. Um, but what if I told you that there is a place that you likely did not think of, a place where you feel really close to God? It's an island in the middle of nowhere. It's cloudy, and when it rains, it pours. When it isn't cloudy, the sun shines and gives scorching heat, and there's little food, scarce water, no scenic views, and predators all around. But this place is a special place. It's the place where you are uh, experience God's presence, and you are closer to God than any other. Can y'all guess what this island is called? It's called weakness. It's called weakness. This is the place where we are desperate, where we are powerless, we are hungry, we are vulnerable, and we have our backs against the wall. And this is the place where God dwells. And that's what we see in our passage. God dwells in your weakness. That's, that, that's the whole point of the whole message. God dwells in your weakest moments. God dwells in your weakest moments. And we see this from Jacob's, really the whole story of the Bible. If you pay close attention to the Bible, God always puts people in really foolish and weak moments. That's why we had the New Testament reading where basically the Apostle Paul tells the church that, hey, many of you all were weak and foolish by the world's estimation, and God does that on purpose. He draws near to the weak and foolish so that no one may boast. The weak and foolish may not boast, and weak and foolish according to this world. And then those who are wise and powerful according to this world won't be able to boast either because God is near the people that they aren't. And we see that God is doing what he does again. He draws near to Jacob and chooses the younger um, to be over the older. He chooses Jacob, the one who isn't strong and tough. And so we see that Jacob has just received the blessing and birthright that, just be that belonged to his stronger and older brother, uh, his more ferocious brother Esau. And uh, Esau got so mad that Esau wanted to kill him for it. Basically, um, their, 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 their father dies, and then Esau's like, once we're all done mourning, I'm going to kill my little brother. And so Rebecca, Jacob's uh, mother, she's like, hey, I need you to get out of here. Go hide at your uncle's house until your brother doesn't want to kill you anymore. And so his home is no longer a safe place for him. He is out on his own. He has no food, no water, no clothing, no shelter. Jacob was desperate. He was powerless. He was hurting, and he was vulnerable. And so Jacob laid down to sleep alone. Like I said, he laid down just, I, I imagine, in random places. He laid his head down on a rock, and he has a vision of a set of stairs leading up and down uh, heaven. And basically back then, th this was kind of like a temple. Don't think stairs or a ladder like in, in the buildings that we're in. Oftentimes back then, temples had stairs, and you would kind of, so to speak, ascend up to the heavens and meet with the gods up in the heavens. And so he kind of has a dream of a temple type of 
uh, structure. And basically what he's seeing here is really what a temple is, the gateway between heaven and earth. And in this vision, God descends and he gives Jacob the same amazing promises that he gave Abram, his granddad. Uh, and and, and he, 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 he lays out all these beautiful promises, like, Jake, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. Uh, like, I am for you. You will inherit. The, you know, God is laying it on him. And Jacob wakes up and he says, surely, this is NLT, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Jacob's like, God is in this place. So Jacob names the place Bethel or Bethel, Bethel which means the house of God. Bethel just means the house of God. So family, there was nothing special about that particular patch of dirt and that rock that Jacob laid his head down on. There's nothing special about that dirt other than it was the place of Jacob's desperation. Jacob's like, man, this is the moment. This is the place where I've been lower and weaker than I've ever been, and I'm calling this the house of God. Because God came here and met me. Family, the, problem, the, 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 the thing is God oftentimes meets us in these places, but the problem is that we oftentimes waste these moments of our weakness by not trusting in God, right? We get in these moments of weakness and we get frustrated with God um, and we make a bad, situ bad situation already, an already bad situation even worse by running away from God and isolating from God's people. Don't we oftentimes do that? When we're hurting, we're like, I just need to be to myself and run away from God and his people. But basically, I, 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 as we continue to go on, I, I want to look at this theme of Bethel, the places where Bethel pops up. Um, and so let's continue to, to, to look at the places where God dwells in our weakest moments. So God dwells in your weakest moments even when the powerful exploit you. God dwells in your weakest moments even when the powerful exploit you. And we see this in Jacob's story. Again, we're just going through Jacob's story. So this is in um, chapter 31, verses 10 uh, through 11. It's a long story short, so some, maybe some of y'all are wondering, like, what happened to Jacob? Where did he go after that? So basically, Jacob gets up and he makes it to his uncle's house, and uh, he, he meets Rachel, uh, who is his, his uncle's daughter, which would make her his cousin. Yeah, her, his cousin. Uh, and then so they, 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 they go to the house, and Jacob's like, basically, um, I want to marry Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel. And he ends up kind of getting tricked by his uncle Laban, and he ends up marrying Leah uh, after working for seven years for his uncle. And then he has to work another seven years to marry Rachel. And so he ends up working for Laban for 20 whole years. And during that time, his uncle is cheating him of his wages. His uncle was a shady person. Jacob was a little shady, but his uncle was even shadier. And after Jacob had 12 sons, Jacob's like, all right, I've had all the kids I want to have. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been working for my uncle for a long time. It's time to go back home and restart my life where it got interrupted by Esau. Uh, but Laban wanted to keep Jacob around because Jacob uh, was making money. Well, they didn't make money back then, but Jacob was making money. Basically, the livestock was thriving. They were, uh, everything was prospering because God was with Jacob. And so Laban's like, hey, man, don't go because my business is thriving. Again, I'm using modern terms. Business is thriving. Uh, he says, name your price. And so Jacob says, all right. So, so, so back then, they were like a, 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 past, a, a, what are they, a pastoralist. 
they, their basically economy was based upon grazing animals. And so kind of he's like, hey, my wages, I want every streaked, spotted, and speckled lamb in the flock. Those are my wages. And then Laban said, great. Um, so basically, you know, as Jacob is, basically kind of how it was, Jacob was taking care of Laban's flocks. And so kind of Laban would pay Jacob out of his, out of his own flocks. And so Jacob said, hey, all the lambs that are yours that are streaked, speckled, and spotted, those are mine. Laban said, that's a deal. But guess what Laban did? He and his sons took all the streaked, speckled, and spotted lambs out of the flock and then said, start your new position, Jacob. So basically, took away his wages. Are y'all following? So basically, he's trying to keep Jacob around with no wages. Um, but here's the thing. Eventually, Jacob becomes wealthy anyway because God is with him. The Bible says this in chapter 31, verse 10. One time during the mating season, uh, J- Jacob is talking to his wives here. One time during the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the females were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob. And I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up and you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. I'm the God who appeared to you at Bethel. Again, Bethel. The place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. So long story short, this is kind of a summary of what happened. But basically the story is, Jacob kind of, it's really actually a very confusing passage in the Bible. Jacob does this weird thing where like the, the lambs as they, um, as they like feed and, 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 and drink, he puts like these sticks and stuff in front of them. And then when they mate, they have streaked, speckled, and spotted babies. Yeah, I know it's weird. But basically, but basically, God kind of like miraculously um, gives Jacob wages. And so Laban and his sons are really mad now because they're like, we cheated him. He's not supposed to have streaked, speckled, and spotted lambs. And now, like, all the, the lambs are becoming streaked, speckled, and spotted. And eventually, Jacob t- turns to his family and says, hey, we got to bounce uh, because Laban is cheating us. And really, Laban's daughters, who are Jacob's wives, they're like, yeah, because he's kind of shady too, so we want to get out of here too. So they all are leaving. So basically what happens is they leave and they don't tell Laban, which was a huge disrespect. So they're, they're leaving. They're actually kind of scared. And Laban pursues them, and Jacob and his family are scared because they think they're going to die. Here they go again, desperate, powerless, scared that he's going to die. And Laban overtakes Jacob and his family. They finally catch up to him. And, and Jacob's like, okay, is, is, is this the moment where I die? But Jacob, uh, Laban tells him this. He says, I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. Isn't that crazy? I get goosebumps every time I read that passage. Like, God shows up and is like, don't touch him or else. Family, that's what happens when you're in your Bethel. When you're in your weakest moment, God shows up and he's working behind the scenes in ways you don't even know about. Luckily, Jacob found out about it and was encouraged by it, but imagine some situations in your life that you didn't even know about where God is behind the scenes and is just providentially like, leave my child alone. The God of Bethel dwells in your weakest moments, even as the powerful seek to exploit you. And I think it's even, we're we're talking, we're we're on the uh, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Man, imagine, I mean, this passage is 
probably a deep blessing to those who are in fear of being exploited uh, by those who would seek to persecute God's people. Some of the weakest moments in our lives are when people who are more powerful than us, who are an authority or over, who are an authority over us, seek to harm us. It could be when the evil one is just putting temptation around you at every side. It could be when you encounter racism or prejudice from people who are over you. It could be when your professors or school officials or your boss is seeking to take advantage of you. Uh, it could be when you are physically or emotionally abused and your abusers are seeking to torment you, whatever it is. In those moments, God, even when it doesn't feel like it, sees you and he weeps and he is moving towards his people to protect his people in ways that sometimes we don't even know about. And he is always advancing his plan to fulfill his promises to his people, even in dark situations like Jacob's, when he was facing death in the face for the second time in his life. In these moments, God can feel really, really far away, but in fact, the scriptures teach us these are the moments where God's power is made perfect. Now, it, 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 that's a fancy way of saying that's when God's power really shows up. The second and last thing is that uh, God dwells in your weakest moments even when the powerful surround you even when the powerful surround you. And we see this in kind of the third Bethel episode in Jacob's life. Um, so this occurs in Genesis chapter 35. So, so sometime later, Jacob and his family, they settle in a place called Shechem. And the prince of Shechem, whose name is also Shechem, um, basically he rapes Jacob's daughter, Dina. And Dina's brothers are furious at Shechem. But, but Shechem and, and the town, they say, hey, um, my, my, my son really uh, wants to marry your daughter. Hey, can you please give your daughter's hand in marriage to my son Shechem? And Jacob's sons are furious. And so they make up a plan. They say, you know what? We will unite families with you. We'll, we'll, we'll give her in marriage to, to Shechem if your whole town circumcises themselves, basically accepts the, the, our, our God as, as your God. And then we will unite families with you. And so they say, great, perfect. So they all circumcise themselves. Basically, they have a surgical procedure to, to, to augment themselves, and so they have to rest afterwards. And um, Jacob's sons go and slaughter the whole town because they, they are uh, furious for the violation of their sister. But here, Jacob is now back in the place of weakness. He, he tells his sons this. He says, you have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the peoples of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. Jacob is back in Bethel. He's desperate, he's powerless, he is facing death in the face. Jacob, uh, but, but, but God tells Jacob, he's literally, God says, go back to Bethel and live there. And so Jacob tells his family this. He says, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gather all their things, and they set out again, running away from death. And the Bible says this in, in, that, in, 30, in chapter 35, verse 5. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel, in Canaan. 
Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means the God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Do you see this pattern over and over again in Jacob's life? That when he's in Bethel, he is in his deepest uh, and, and, and most desperate, darkest moments, and God meets him there. God's power strengthens him. Literally, as they were fleeing, it said that a terror fell on all the towns around Jacob. I don't even know if Jacob knew it. He's running for his life, and he doesn't know everyone around him is scared of him for literally no other reason than God willed it so. I'm here to tell you that God dwells in your weakness, even as the powerful surround you, Christian. It could be that you're in a, a lose-lose situation where you feel like your back is against the wall. It can be that you're in no escape from a hostile environment where you're being uh, ridiculed and ostracized for standing up for what's right. It could be that you are stuck in a house where everyone around you is toxic and you're really just trying to survive. It could be that where you're working at a job where everyone is seeking to manipulate you. It could be uh, that, that, that you're in a place where you are spoken evil of and people are discriminating against you because you are a Christian or because of what, whatever it might be. But in those moments where God seems really far away, that place is your Bethel. That is the place where God draws near to you and God shows up and blesses you. And so, family, do not waste those moments of insults, of hardships, of persecutions and troubles while you are following Jesus. And there are so many times, even during this time in, in, in kind of, I don't know, our country, there's just, uh, for whatever reason, it just feels like there are a lot of these type of moments that are happening more often than not, moments of hardship and difficulty. Um, we should be looking for God's blessing and God's presence in the midst of those moments. And why should we do this? The, the Apostle Paul tells us why we should do this. The Apostle Paul went through a similar situation. Paul says that there was, he said, he calls it a messenger of Satan uh, to, that, that, that came to him, a, a thorn in his flesh. And he says this, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. The Apostle Paul said this, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I boast in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That in those moments of weakness, that is where God's power shows up and strengthens us and sustains us. Even though it feels like God is far away, he is not far away. He is with you. So what does it actually look like to trust God and walk with God in those weak moments? What does that actually look like? Because I think, I, you know, I, I know me, like sometimes we talk about trusting God and walking with God, and it could be like this really kind of abstract, you know, ethereal thing where it's like, oh yeah, I'm just out here trusting God or just trying to lean on God more. And like, what does that actually mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> it actually looks like continuing to take that next step when you don't have the energy to take it. It looks like when you are weak, pray more, not less. It looks like embracing Christian community and not isolation. Receive God's word and not the devil's lies. What is uh, embracing God's power in our weakness? It looks like blessing those who persecute you instead of cursing them. 
It looks like forgiving those who wrong you instead of seeking vengeance. It looks like giving thanks instead of complaining. It looks like doing good to God and to people and, and not evil. It looks like running from temptation and not to it, even though you don't have an ounce of strength left. It looks like persevering even when you feel like giving up, when you're like, I can't go any further. These are ways that uh, we can walk in God's power. It's taking that next step even when you don't think you have the energy to take it. And God meets you and gives you the strength and power to keep going and walking in faithfulness to Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense to walk in faithfulness with Jesus. But you might be thinking, how can I know that God is, it will actually be there for me? Because you know what? Everyone in my life has always abandoned me. My father has abandoned me. My friends have abandoned me. And you know what? Maybe in your life you're thinking, actually, in every situation where people could abandon me, I'm expecting them to abandon me. Because that's been your experience. How do we know that God will be for us when all we know is disappointment in life? Family, we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you have Jesus, the Bible teaches us that Jesus himself is Bethel. Jesus is the gateway to the heavenly realms. Jesus told one of his disciples in the gospel according to John, he says, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, I'm the true and better Bethel. Jesus is saying, I am Bethel. I am the place where earth and heaven meet. He's saying, I am the place where God dwells. If you have Jesus, you can be certain that God dwells with you in the midst of your weakness. If you have Jesus, just like Jacob, even better than Jacob, you have the stairway and the gateway to heaven living inside of you. You see, but, be, but because of our sins, it would be fair for God to use those situations that are, as our punishment. And don't we oftentimes think that when we're in those situations, we think, God, are you punishing me? God, what's, what, what's going on here? Did I do something wrong? But here's the thing. We know that God is not punishing us because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There is no more punishment left for us. God's favor is ever upon us. Those situations are not punishment. God was far away from Jesus in his weakest moment so that God can be close to you in yours. Jesus' weakest moment was when he died on the cross. And God turned his face away from Jesus so that he can light his face upon you in your dark situation. You see, what happened was when Jesus died, Bethel was hanging on the cross. When Jesus died, Bethel was hanging on the cross. And, and this, this imagery is powerful. The same place of Jesus' death and suffering and, 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 and helplessness, the same place where the most evil thing on the history of planet Earth happened, this is the same place where God is bringing about redemption, where he is powerfully defeating the, the bondage of Satan, where he is powerfully setting people free, where the curtain of the temple is torn in half because God's presence is leaving and going out to dwell with his people. 
This is what is happening as Bethel is hanging on the cross. The same place of suffering, sacrifice, and vulnerability is the same place where we experience the presence and salvation of God. That's what the cross means. Jesus is, a, is perfectly able to be your Bethel because he knows what it is like to be in a weak moment. When you pray to him, he can relate to you in every way. And here's the thing. Jesus rising from the dead, he was letting us know that our weak moments aren't, is, our weak moments aren't the final moments of the Christian life. In, in kind of the, the, so to speak, the episodes of the Christian life, like the day-to-day, and also the grand story, maybe we can speak of the seasons of the Christian life, or the whole show of the Christian life, the pattern is always weakness to resurrection, is always cross to resurrection, is always humility to exaltation. In every moment, God is working both the cross and the resurrection in your life. Those same places where you are desperate and powerless are those same places where God's power is most powerfully working. And you have every reason to expect, Christian, in every situation to look for the moment where God will deliver you and bring about restoration and bring about healing. And that might not look like what we want it to look like, but God is bringing about resurrection in his own powerful and more glorious ways than we ever imagined. Family, God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful exploit you, even when the powerful surround you. And you can be sure of this uh, because he is uh, uh, with you because of the work of Jesus on your behalf. Family, this, and this connects with the theme of our, of our whole retreat. We, we, we talked about being uh, united with God um, around a common message, being united around a common message. We talked about being united under common authority. We talked about being united around a common community, and I want us to be united around a common posture, to be united around a common posture. And family, really, Christians, by definition, the Bible tells us, are weak and foolish. Our walk with Jesus brings us into weakness and foolishness. Because Jesus himself, to this world, Jesus is weak and foolish, Dying, the the fact that we are saved by a Jewish rabbi dying on the cross, that if you just believe in him, you'll have eternal life, that's foolishness. Have you ever thought about what we believe? And then, oh, by the way, he rose again from the dead. Like, we're used to that because, you know, we, we hear it all the time, but that is crazy talk. The fact that he rose from the dead, and if you believe in it, you also, too, will have resurrection life. Walking in love and service to those forgiveness, loving others, sacrificing for others, receiving persecution joyfully because that is what our Lord did. These are all things that are foolish and weak. And so often the church, we desire to be in positions of power. We desire for the church to have um, uh, cultural, um, cultural safety at the expense of our witness and our walk. Oftentimes we run away from being like Jesus, weak and humble and lowly so that we won't have to experience the same persecutions he did. But family, when we press into walking in the paths of Jesus, the paths of weakness and foolishness for suffering on his behalf and embracing the fullness of the Christian life, bearing our cross, those are the places where resurrection and power and life happen. And we in the church cannot experience true life and our world cannot experience the salt and the light that we're supposed to be unless we embrace the posture 
of weakness and foolishness. So family, I exhort us to uh, be united in a common posture, the same posture Jesus had, the same posture that all of our forefathers and foremothers had before us, like Jacob. And in the midst of that, God will dwell there, and he will raise us up, and he will exalt us. Amen? Let me pray for us.